Welcome to Bloody Mary's, a queer horror podcast. This episode we're reviewing The Blair Witch Project. I'm that uh, human that licks your fingers by the bed and you think it's a dog, <laughs> Alex. And I'm a set of teeth and lock of hair in a bundle of sticks, Sean. <laughs> we're two queer horror nerds, uh, they them pronouns, and we are based in Hackney. And uh, that is all. Um, in other news, trigger warnings. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, in other news, trigger warnings. There aren't really many in this. Uh, swearing and spoilers and uh, some sticks. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're reviewing uh, Blair Witch Project, which uh, was released in 1999 and directed and edited by Daniel Mirick and Eduardo Sanchez. Mm. Um, there's some, so it's, it's a found footage film, and, and, <laughs> and uh, there are some conflicting uh, stats. Uh, re the budget. And how much it grossed? Because mm, um, the first thing I said. Up in a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, it's not. I don't normally find this information interesting, which is why I never include it in my introductions. <laughs> but it's noteworthy in this film because it's such an extreme difference. So the most consistent statistic I found was that the budget was sixty thousand dollars, which tiny. is exceptionally tiny. Um, especially when I've worked out that the cast all got will have got just about half of that. Um, or wow. just under half of that. Um, but it grossed almost $250 million. Um, some money. Yes. Uh, so it was in the Guinness Book of Records. I'm not sure if it's still there, but it was there for a while as uh, having the top budget to box office ratio or the, or the, the highest uh, disparity between budget and box office Yeah. Okay. Um, for a mainstream feature film. It also held the record for the highest grossing independent movie of all time uh, for three years until 2002 when it was surpassed by My Big Fat Greek Wedding, <laughs> which we'll be reviewing on a future episode. Oh, um, true horror. <laughs> so shooting of the film took eight days, which, if what? I'm right, is approximately the amount of days that are covered in the film. I think it's seven days in the film. Okay. Um, so, uh, and the cast were each given $1,000 per day. Um, the original title for the film was The Blair Witch Tapes um, and the film was marketed as a true story um, and uh, as uh, they said that the cast had all disappeared during filming um, and due to the, the way that it was filmed and because it was quite unique uh, many uh, even after watching the film still believed it to have come from raw documentary footage and to have been real <laughs> Um, Even and though it also, has outro credits. Yes. <laughs> um, the, um, with like a stunt coordinator. Or I think, stunt. yeah, I think I still believed it was real for some reason. I wonder if it, in the cinema they didn't show credits. Yeah, I don't know. Might the version that we watched. So you saw it in the cinema, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I didn't. I think I was a little bit too young, but I saw it very shortly afterwards with my mother and sister. Motherington. And it was terrifying at the yes, time. Yes, I was scared. Um, the uh so as well as it all being fictional obviously uh the the law around the uh the Blair Witch in Burkittsville Maryland was also a, f- a fabricated one um and was created for the film um 
But following the film, lots of kind of uh, folklore enthusiasts visited that uh, area, thinking that it was a real legend. Um, and also, the, until filming was complete, uh, the cast also believed it was a, a real legend. They hadn't been told it had been written for the film. Oh. So the three protagonists, Heather, Joshua, and Michael, sometimes referred to as Mike or Mikey, Mikey. Um, all used their real names. Um, and Heather's family uh, were trying to dissuade her from taking the role because they didn't like the idea of her going into the woods with a bunch of guys she didn't know, just with uh, video cameras. Uh. Um, and her mum just demanded to have all of their social security numbers, ah! um, and her friends pitched in to get her a knife to take with her. Oh my god! Um, uh, and one of the first questions that she asked the team was if they were actually secretly planning on making a snuff film. Oh my um, god! I know, I know. So the actors wore and repaired their own clothes throughout the shoot. Um, there's a scene I think where we see someone repairing. Uh, I was going to say, why do you need to repair all your clothes all the time? I guess if you're running around in woods with sharp twigs Sharp twigs everywhere. (laughs) Sticks, ah, sticks, more sticks. (laughs) Um, So the film is uh, notable also for having no special effects. And most of the scares, most of the kind of terror that we see was quite genuine uh, because of the way that it was filmed. Um, The film also is credited as one of the first viral marketing campaigns relating to a film. Um, so it gained quite a big following before it even yes, was released. I remember all um, the hype. It was exciting. Ma- mainly based on the kind of like missing posters and mm. framing it as a real story. Um, and also because they'd used the the real names of the uh, the three uh, main cast, um, the parents of those uh, actors were getting condolence messages. Oh my god! Uh, thinking <laughs> that their children were actually missing. Um, <clears throat> So on IMDb, before the uh, the film was released, I didn't know IMDb dated back to 1999, but evidently wow. so. Um, the actors, the three main actors, were all listed as missing, presumed dead. On ah! um, so the casting call for this film read as follows. Uh, well, no, not as follows, actually. I've just... <laughs> this is partially... As follows, but not this. <laughs> so it was, it was billed as an improvisational feature film um, and said, Open call for the Black Hill Project. Seeking men and women 18 to 25 with natural look. Extremely challenging roles in capitals um, to be shot under very difficult circumstances. And then one of the, the cast members said that at the, uh, at the open call, there were flyers all over the, the place and handed out saying, if you get this role, you will be subject to uncom- uncomfortable physical situations. You will never be in harm's way. You will be outdoors most of the time. If this is not your thing, please don't audition. And the way that they auditioned them was with an improv scene where they told them at the audition that uh, that they were they'd been convic- convicted convicted oh no <laughs> <laughs> convicted of murder twelve years ago, um, and then they had to state their case in front of the parole board. So that was the improvisation, and apparently they were originally thinking it was an open cast for any gender, but they were imagining it that it would be three male protagonists. But based on I'm the glad it wasn't. no same, it would have been a very different film, I think. But as annoying as Heather was, yeah. <laughs> um, but based on Heather's performance in this, uh, they changed their mind, made her the main character. So um, apparently she was, and apparently the auditions were for over a year. Um, and when they said what? to her, uh, "Why do you think you should be released on parole?" she apparently just looked at them dead in the eye and said, "I don't think I should be." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they were taught to use their own equipment. Most of the footage is filmed by those three. Um, 
And there's a scene in the car when they're just about to leave, when they're having a conversation about feet and meters. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because he thinks it's out of focus. That was a real conversation because he just filmed an interview and said, I think I've got this all wrong because I had it was out of focus. Um, so mostly improvised. And in order to make the film seem more real and also tighten the tension between the three characters, each day the food that they gave them was reduced <laughs> so that by the last day they had barely eaten. Um, and it was in order to increase a sense of like discomfort. So they were given walkie-talkies and that's how the, the crew kept in touch with them. So they were essentially off on their own. And they'd kind of laid a trail... They they taught them how to use all the equipment. They taught them how to use like compasses and all that sort of stuff. And the their aim was to get them to a new place every day. Um, mm. But they wanted the rest of it to be as naturalistic as possible. So when they got to the place that they needed to set up a camp, there'd be like a little flag there, uh. and then they would start camping. So they could get in touch with them, but they very rarely did. Um, uh, and at first, the crew followed behind them, but then they realised that they were too in the way of shots. And that it was they were getting better performances when they weren't there. Yeah. So they stayed away completely wow. and just communicated by walkie-talkies. Apparently, they got lost three times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so what they would have to do is that they'd get to uh, like a, a milk crate, and there'd be a flag sticking out of it, so they'd know that was the campsite, and then uh, then they'd know that that was where they were supposed to set up the camp. Um, inside the milk crate, there'd be little film canisters for each of them and they'd open them and it would have notes for each of them individually but they weren't allowed to share those with each other so it was telling them what so for some examples of when it was basically like this is what you were going to do so it's kind of like have you ever played one of those like home murder mysteries no I think I'd cringe to death oh they're really fun (laughs) no not for me (laughs) I'm going to do it you know just us two (laughs) (laughs) hello Scarlet (laughs) me going Sean please (laughs) happy birthday murderer question mark (laughs) Um, so some examples were uh, Mike rec- Mike found one that said you must get rid of the map um, uh, so he decided and he could do it however he wanted to and he also kind of carried the information uh, that around with him without telling the others and the others probably got one saying no just that the map is missing <laughs> um, and then he chose when to reveal that information when mm. he thought it was the right time um, so uh, it's a bit like reality TV. <laughs> it is scripted um, reality. And the other thing was, so the uh, when Joshua goes missing, the original plan had been for that to be Mike that goes missing, but because of the uh, the tension that had already built up quite naturally between Mike and uh, Heather, mm. because Mike was kind of the outsider who didn't know the, the two as well, yeah. and was more irritable from the start. Irritable. But they thought it was, it made more sense to keep the two that weren't super close together in at the end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the filmmakers left Joshua a note saying, when the other two go to sleep tonight, leave the tent and look out for the flashlight. And so he did that. And then, um, the, uh, like the, some of the, the crew were there waiting for him. Uh, put him in a car and say, you're going home, you're dead. <laughs> and he was, like, written out of it then. Um, <clears throat> the uh, So one of the, the sayings that the the, cast used, the crew used to say to the cast was, your safety is our primary concern, but your comfort is not. 
Um, <laughs> it really sounds <laughs> so, um, I don't think I'd do this film. <laughs> so there's uh, there's one bit where so the, the, I found a really good article in Vice actually I, that was about the 20 year anniversary of it. Hmm. So it would have been from a couple of years ago. And uh, and there's an interview with the cast and crew. Lots of this information is from that article, actually. Um, and uh, they, so the the cast was saying that sometimes it was really scary and sometimes it was just really annoying. So, for example, they'd set up camp, get to sleep, um, just kind of drift off to sleep, and then all of a sudden they'd hear a boombox playing creepy children's sound outside of the tent. Uh. And then... Um, and and uh, Joshua said, so a lot of what you're seeing in film on film is directly following a collective groan when we realised we had to put out all our put all put our shoes back on and start acting again. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps the most iconic bit of the film is the kind of up nose shot of Snotty Heather, up nose, snotty up nose, which I can't disconnect it from the parody and scary yeah movie. it's just me like too. pure streams of snot but it's actually not that far off that yeah movie, I, I, I thought it was yeah more that I'd been influenced by the scary movie version but there is a, a lot. lot of snot yeah. and um, that monologue was all improvised so she was told to uh, to do a, like a film herself sort of saying goodbye and also taking responsibility for the situation that they're in yeah and that was all she was told and apparently she'd focused much more than they wanted her to. They wanted it to be more like a sort of like a video diary sort of thing. But it makes sense that she'd have it close to her so that the other guy didn't hear what she was doing, I think. Rather yeah. Than, yeah. Um, but they, they decided to keep it in because it was more effective. And yeah, they were yeah, all really yeah. impressed with the volume of snot phlegm. Um, so originally, and this is another thing where there's a bit of conflicting uh, sort of uh, accounts of what happened was supposed to happen here. But the Blair Witch was supposed to be seen in the movie. So the, there's a part where the characters are running out of their tent and you hear uh, Heather shouting, oh my God, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? But the camera's moving so quickly you don't see anything. Yeah. And Joshua, who was behind her, was carrying the camera and he was supposed to pan to the left where the audience would see a woman wearing like a long white dress in the distance. But in, in the heat of the moment, Joshua forgot to pan around. And then there's another thing that's saying what she's actually reacting to is the art director, uh, director called Ricardo Moreno, who's dressed in white long johns, white stockings, and white pantyhose pulled over his head, running alongside them. Um, but then there's a third thing that says she was reacting to someone in a ski mask. So it sounds like they were just really fucking with them. Yeah, um, and it a lot very of, chaotic. And a lot of what their what they're reacting to is actually kind of happening to them, but we're not seeing it. Yeah. And I think it's all the stronger for it, actually. Um, so one of the agreements of the film was that the the three actors would stay in character for the entire eight days of filming. Um, <laughs> if they did have to break from character, they had a safe word that they'd say, which meant, I'm going to break from character now. And all of the others had to say the word as well before they all broke character. And the word was taco. Oh, <laughs> Taco, no, she better do. Taco! <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, uh, Taco, I need to go home. I hate this. Taco, I need some more food. Taco, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I don't know how to repair my own clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the film was originally supposed to include both what we see and also kind of the aftermath. Oh, right. So, uh, so we what we see and what we don't see. <laughs> <laughs> the, the woman, the, the man of the long johns, and the. Uh, uh, so there was going to be like uh, like news footage about them missing, 
like kind of uh, footage in like a police station of like looking at the evidence and stuff. But they decided just to, it felt a bit too contrived and not as real as just showing the raw footage. Um, but lots of the deleted material could be, was used later in the kind of viral marketing of the film right. to make it look real. Um, so the, the house that they end up in at the end, which is one of the other most iconic moments, is uh, called the Griggs House. Griggs! Oh, Greg. Um It was built in the 18, mid-1800s, uh, which in the US seems like a long time. Mm. Um, and following the film, there were threats to demolish the house because it wasn't safe. Um, and uh, But lots of film fans uh, protested it being closed specifically this film, fans. Um, <laughs> Lots of just general film fans. <laughs> yes, my, my grandfather, who quite enjoyed Schindler's List, was up, up in arms about it. <laughs> um, in fact, that's why he died. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, the state issued a reprieve based on these protests, but then demolished it without telling anyone. Snaky. Uh, in 2000, because it, uh, it was too unsafe, and there were lots of uh, sort of uh, movie fan thrill seekers uh, going in there to try and like collect souvenirs from the house and stuff and like take pictures and do their uh. own spoopy videos. Um, so one of the original ideas for the ending of the film uh, was that it was going to be like a reveal um, uh, and it's been described as like a Scooby-Doo-esque reveal. Where, so you know at the beginning when they're interviewing people and there's the fisherman and his son? Yeah, yeah. It was going to be them playing tricks on them um, the whole oh. time. Um uh, another idea that was shelved uh, was that Joshua and Heather were going to be a bit of a sort of will they, won't they romantic thing. Mm, there's no room for that. Yeah, I, and so uh, apparently there is some allusion to the, the fact that they used to date in the film, which I didn't, I didn't up on. notice. Um, and yeah, it was, there was supposed to be some sort of love story there. So the the woman Mary Brown, who they interview at the beginning, who's quite an iconic character. I love character, Mary Brown. Um, she, you know who she really looked like? You know, on the orphanage, um, uh, the woman who does the, the, the medium who comes to the house. Oh, the really sort of yeah, 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 Anyway, uh, so she, uh, the footage of her was shot at her own home and that weird, like, wicker gate, uh, was already there. That's just her gate. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It looks like the little sticks, like, those structures they find later on. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, so the, the ending that is in the film that is, that everyone knows about, which is where he's standing with his back to her in the corner, Mm. was always intended on being the ending of the film, but it was shown to a test audience and the audience found it a bit confusing. Um, so, uh, the studio gave the directors extra budget to shoot a few alternative endings. Um, and these endings were as follows. So, uh, Mike was hanged from a noose. In one of them. Mm. In another, he was crucified to a large stick figure, in uh, appearing with a bloody chest. And then uh, there were lots of... There, there, there was another version where there were lots of stick figures in the house. And then there was also uh, an idea for a giant-sized version of the stick figure to chase them through the woods. Oh, my Imagine. God. <laughs> um, that would have ruined it. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, my God. I also want to see that. So, the, uh, so the, most of those endings are available to see, apart from the giant stick man chasing through the wood. <laughs> I need him. Um, 
So what they did instead was they went back and added in the the, the backstory about the man Rustin Parr who used to kill yeah. kids and make them stand in the corner. I was I was because think, I was thinking like well wait, it makes sense because they tell that story about that Rustin Parr earlier so why wouldn't they understand what happens? Yeah. Yeah. I also think even without that bit it's a really scary visual. Yeah, you I almost agree. don't need the backstory. And for it to be and terrifying. also uh, another thing about me um, <laughs> is that I actually forgot about that story the Rustin Parr story and like when I like the times I've watched it and I just assumed that it was just a creepy thing yeah. that he was just in the corner because that's scary enough you don't need an explanation so <clears throat> yeah they um I had a scary story when I worked have you had so, a scary story yeah. so for those of you who don't know me I, I previously used to work in historic houses oh. um and uh someone told me that one house uh was owned by this uh like kind of lonely old bachelor which normally means faggot so you're so lonely old batch <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, he, he was so introvert and he had like servants, but when a servant would, uh, when he entered a room, he made his servants turn away and face the wall so, so that he didn't have to make eye contact. With oh him. my gosh. Um, and, and I thought that'd be a really, uh, yeah. cool, like story Device. for a haunted house. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, just a few more points. Uh, there is a theory that circulated ever since the film was made that the story is actually uh, a plan of Josh and Mike to make a snuff film with Heather as the victim. Uh, yes. Um, and there's lots of stuff about that theory which hasn't been concern- uh, confirmed. Uh, it <laughs> hasn't, hasn't been, been concerning, concerning at, all. Uh, at all to me. Uh, <laughs> I love a, it. It's, a, it's an underrated genre of film. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I must say, watching it this time is the only time when I haven't just read it as... And it's years since I've seen it, and where I thought, especially towards the beginning, where I was just like, is this Heather doing all this just to, like, um, to keep her story going, to keep her film project alive? Um, I think that theory becomes less... Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense towards the end, but I, when you said it when we were watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, because, and it's kind of like when she takes account for everything at the end, because everything, to a certain point, is kind of her fault. Yeah. Um... So, apparently the Wiccan community uh, were very upset with the portrayal of witches in this film. Um, And quite notoriously, there were... I feel like every generation has a film that makes people throw up in the cinemas. And Ah! (laughs) this was the one for us where um, the the shaky camera... I find this really interesting. So, the shaky camera was very intentionally shaky. And also, the quality of the film was degraded. Oh, really? Yeah, to make it look more homemade. Because they were really great cameras. More crispy. Um, the, oh, great cameras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but apparently lots of cinema goers uh, became nauseous, not used to the shaky cameras. Mm. But I feel like even if we hadn't seen like a handheld found footage film up until like one being released today, I, th- I think audiences now would be better prepared for it because we watch so many low quality videos online. That's true. Yeah, um, good point. I was just you. thinking it's hilarious actually because you were saying like generations because my mum vomited watching The Exorcist and vomited watching Blair Witch. So. <laughs> 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 
Um, and by every generation, I mean those two films. <laughs> <laughs> Pukiest horror yeah, yeah. films. I wonder what if there's been one since like Saw or Hostel or something. It's probably more like kind of torture porny films that are like turning people's stomachs now. Yeah, I don't know about the puking. I was thinking about that time we were watching Get Out and that person puked behind me randomly. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> at first, I thought it literally gone down your back and I was like, I'm not leaving the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you can sit there and enjoy I, that puking I, I am, bag. Do you, if you want to go, go. <laughs> um, there, so there was a, um, a sequel released in 2000, the following year, called Book of Shadows, Blair Book Witch of Shadows. 2. Um, and it was really, really poorly received by critics. And I watched it at the time and it was rubbish. And I remember even at the time thinking, like, they, they'd captured something so unique with the found footage thing. Why would they just then go to a very polished Hollywood film for the second one? Why wouldn't they kind of keep it up? Mm. Um, but it, it is kind of cited as igniting, igniting interest in found footage films. Um, the before that there was Cannibal Holocaust, oh, which I was from nineteen eighty, I think. Yeah, and then but the the kind of the resurgence of found footage films didn't happen for a long time after uh, uh, Blair Witch. I think because it was such an iconic thing that it would just feel too derivative. Yeah, it'd be hard to sort of beat. But by the time the Paranormal Activities rolled around, which I would say was maybe like late 2000s, Mm. it was kind of fresh again. And also done in a really different way because it was all like home security footage. I was just thinking about what was that name of that Australian horror film that we saw? Was it Lake something? Where it's like the old found footage and it was like kind of like, uh, anyway. uh, That was like a horror that had found footage. I don't know when Uh, that was from. That was good anyway. So the, the, the ones I could think about and that were listed on some of the stuff that I was reading about were like Wreck, VHS, mm. Cloverfield, yeah, um, The Last Exorcism. Um, there's, there's there's quite a few now, yeah, most yeah, of them yeah, horror. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interestingly, so Jason Blum, is it Blumhouse or just Blum? I thought it was Blumhouse. Blumhouse. Yeah. I feel like there's an actor called Jason Blum. Or maybe it's just Blum, and the 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 company is called Blumhouse. Blumhouse. Um, anyway. anyway. <laughs> He was involved in some way in like distribution or something, and he said that um, the Blair Witch Project will never sell because of its unique way of being filmed. Um, but he's responsible for paranormal activity, so he obviously came, ah! came around to the idea. Um, so yeah, there's loads of uh, other interesting stuff about this film, but I just thought I'd pick out the most interesting because it's... Uh, but yeah, I feel like... And I've said this before, because I am a bit of a broken record. Go but, on. Um, <laughs> but I feel like there are certain like, genre-shifting milestones in horror films. Get Out was probably the most recent one. Mm. Uh, it Follows, I thought, was going to be one, but wasn't. But I think this was such a huge turning point for horror because mm. it was kind of just off the back of, like, the screams. Yeah, where... I was just trying to remember when those screams were before or after this. Anyway, the first scream. Yeah. So it would have been mid-90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, so it was like... They'd kind of been a resurgence of the light slasher, yeah, and then this kind of made its own new genre. Yeah, because it was also kind of witchcrafty as well, which doesn't hadn't really been seen as much. No, I guess apart from the craft, exactly. Um, oh, I miss the nineties. Oh, the nineties, <laughs> so much to see. Um, yeah, that's all. <laughs> begins with a uh, with text on the screen telling us that it's October 1994 
and uh, that three students set out into the the woods in uh, Burkittsville, 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 <laughs> Burkittsville, uh, to uh, film a thingy, and a thingy. and they weren't. Uh, well, we'll see the thingy, and <laughs> it <laughs> and uh, it wasn't, uh, and the, the footage was found, and that they're all missing. Um, and then the film ends. <laughs> uh, so then we are introduced to Heather, who's the main character, and she's at home and she's packing for this trip. Uh, she shows lots of books that she's been reading, some about uh, witchcraft, some about survival and camping. Um, her friends arrive with... Oh, her friend Joshua arrives in the car and he's got some video kit and they're going to pick up Mikey, who has uh, procured the video equipment... Um, The dad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then we see them buying some snacks in the supermarket, ready for their trip, including quite an erotic close-up of a packet of marshmallows. Oh, yeah, she goes, soft. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then they they ask someone in the restaurant if that they go to if she's ever heard of uh, the Blair Witch, and she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, they're talking about how they're trying to avoid, like, cheesiness in this uh, documentary. Um, And then they arrive at the... uh, at a cemetery uh, in Berkeley. To avoid cheesiness. (laughs) To avoid the cheesiness. And they all kiss the slate to avoid cheesiness. (laughs) uh, Before they uh, go action. Um, and then uh, Haley affects this very like earnest documentary presenter voice yeah. uh, to talk about the Haley. The, did you say he- Heather? Oh, I think you said Haley. Maybe I just Haley Cox. Coronation Street comes by. She's the Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, we see them. We see the sign for Burkittsville, uh, which was formerly called Blair, um, and uh, she. Uh, she's talking about how uh, most of the gravestones in the cemetery are of children who died in the 1940s, but there's very little information about why they all died. Um, then we uh, there's kind of a compilation of various people that they interview. Um, the way this was done, actually, two interesting things. The cemetery is the only scene that's actually shot in Burkittsville, Maryland. Oh. Um, the others were somewhere else in Maryland. I think. Elsewhere. Um Am I saying that right? Maryland. Maryland. I think so. Sounds silly. Yeah, it does. Hi, I'm Mary. Welcome to Maryland. Maybe you'll say Maryland. Maryland. No, I don't know. <laughs> Maryland. Um, Maryland. I think that's it. Maryland. Anyway, carry on. Maryland. Monroe. Monroe didn't. <laughs> um, so one of the people that they speak to is an old man who... Uh, the other thing about this, interesting thing about this oh, yeah. scene was... They thought that they were interviewing random people, like real people, about what they knew about it. Um, But these people were actors who'd been told about the law. So it's why it feels quite naturalistic. And Heather does this really interesting thing where she interrupts before she lets people answer the questions. She's so annoyed. She is so annoying. And like such a shrill voice. I didn't notice until this time. (laughs) She literally talks over everyone and just like... She can't let there be a moment silence. No. Um, So uh, the old man talks about uh, in the fall or winter of 1940, lots of kids started disappearing uh, there was a man called Rustin Parr, um, who was a bit of a hermit who lived on his own. Um, the uh, He used to apparently take two kids at a time. He'd make one face the corner while, he, uh, while he'd 
uh, kill the other one so that he didn't have the child's eyes on him yeah, while so he was doing it. Feel their eyes. <laughs> and then there's another story about uh, two men went camping and they disappeared. Um, and then they ask uh, a woman and she, they say, do you believe? And she says, well, I believe not enough not to go up there. And then they meet Mary Brown, who is uh, apparently an expert on the matter. And she's kind of dressed almost like a sort of Victorian governess or something. Yeah. Um, and she's very, like, sort of very sunken cheeks. Yeah, like wizened. Quite haunting looking, or haunted looking. Haunted. Um, so Mary Brown uh, says that she uh, she's a very religious woman. She's got a Bible, I think. And she's got mm. a cross around her neck. And she talks about how she was fishing uh, at the creek one time and she felt something near her and it was a woman covered in black fur. She was wearing a wool shawl. She was very... Um, oh, I thought she said a wolf shawl. I was like, what's that? Like a wolf skin. Anyway. <laughs> I think it <was> wool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, I like the idea of the Blair Witch, the little hairy Blair Witch just sat knitting herself a shawl. Out <laughs> <laughs> of a wolf. Um, <laughs> Um, so then uh, they're talking about uh, Mary Brown and what character she was in the car afterwards, uh, saying that she claimed that she was a ballerina, a scientist and a historian. I believe her. I do. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Sexist pigs. You can be anything you want. Yeah, dream big, Mary. <laughs> so then we see them uh, that evening in a motel and they're drinking beers, they're doing an equipment check. And then they all have a little shot of whiskey and they're all like cheering and stuff. Yeah, this like, is the point where I said, I really don't understand American drinking culture. Yeah. It's just like, um, here we don't expect to be applauded for having a little shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then uh, the second day, and they go into, uh, down to like a little creek thing and there are two men fishing, uh, a father and son apparently. And then the they seem a bit resistant to talk at first, but then they kind of get into it. And then the fish, the, the, the older one says, "Damn fool, kids will never learn." <laughs> he was supposed to be the one that then kind of pranked them, right. which is a bit on the nose. But um, so they talk about how there was a girl in the late eighteen hundreds who wandered into the woods, and then three days later she reappeared on uh, on Grandma's porch, and uh, and then. Uh, what was the story about? Uh, she said she said that she saw a woman whose foot, feet never touched feet never the ground. Feet never touched the ground. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that she uh, that she appeared like a white mist. And then Heather's oh, just like, so like a grey vapour rising from the trees? And it's like, no, a white mist, I just said. <laughs> like a white mist. Not a grey vapour! <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so then they drive past a sort of creepy looking shack and then they leave the car. Uh, they put all their big bags on. And then uh, they fairly quickly get to this creek that's called Coffin Rock, and they tell a little bit about the uh, the mythology there. And she, so uh, Heather reads from a book that she's brought with her about some men that were bound together there. It's like seven men, I think. Mm. They were all bound together and disemboweled. There was writing cut into their flesh in a strange language. And then someone saw them, ran away to get help, and came back, and the bodies had disappeared, and there were just vultures there. Yes. And ever since it's been called Coffin Rock. Um, so then we see them putting up the tent in the rain and then inside of the tent and uh, Joshua says something like, oh, tell me if there's too much ass smell. Yeah. She's, she's like, so I'm not allowed to smoke in here, but he can fart as much as he wants. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> ass smell. Ass smell. Oh, Welcome to the ass smell. <laughs> Hot boxing in the <laughs> ass smell tent. <laughs> uh, so then we're on to day three. 
Um, and uh, one of them, I can't remember if it's Joshua or Mikey, um, but man, am I right? One of the men. Says that he heard cackling and a hooting owl. A hoot. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a real hoot. <laughs> um, and then there's some conversation about knowing the way. We see a little scene where Mikey takes his top off and they're kind of fixated on his bald patches on his, his hairy, hairy bits. Yeah, it's very yeah. strange. It goes on for quite a while. It's weird. It does. <laughs> and I wonder, actually, if one of the endings was supposed to be him with a bloody chest, if it's some sort of like... Oh, like just, it's just, important just, for a later thing. Just to really get, get us acquainted with his patchy chest. Familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a little close-up of a dead mouse. Oh, yeah. And then we see Heather taking a little piss. Um, <laughs> um, and then uh, they start to bicker later about being lost. Uh, Mikey, in particular, is very angry and is blaming Heather. Um, and he's like, I, she's like, you agreed to this. And he's like, I agreed to a scouted out project. And she's like, it is a scouted out project. He's like, well, it's not because we're lost. And then blah, 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 saying, I'm putting my trust in you, um, but I'm not sure if I do trust you. And then he gets really frustrated that she films every conversation. Yeah. And she's like, I just need to document everything, blah, blah, blah. And then they cross this big log across uh, oh, yeah. a little creek. Um, and then they find uh, a little nest of rocks. And there's a whole circle of them. So there are seven piles of rocks in total. Mm. And Joshua says, it looks like an Indian burial ground. Yes, well. Um, be interesting to do a deep dive about the history of the Indian mm, burial ground. I'd love to ground. hear that mm. previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then they're barbecuing sausages. And then they're back at the rocks. And one of them knocks a pile over. Yeah. Um, and Heather tries to like replace them. And she kisses one of the rocks, I think. Yeah. And she's like, it can't be too safe. Um, but it may be that this is what triggered the whole thing. Very <laughs> triggering. Trigger me timbers. Um, so then uh, later they hear kind of branches snapping all around them and they're shouting hello. Um, uh, Mike is too scared to leave the tent and then they go to sleep. <laughs> and then they go to sleep. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I've also, we've been joined by our guest Schmiegel, <laughs> <laughs> yes. who loves the film. Yeah, uh, big fan. Big fan. Um, big so fan. day four, uh, it's very rainy, and they're saying that the the kind of the the sounds that they'd heard the night before that it was just someone fucking with you, and uh, Joshua makes a joke about it being like deliverance. Uh, there's lots of bickering, especially with Mikey. Um, uh, he wants to go back to the car. They're arguing about the route. Um, she wants to set up camp uh, because it's starting to get dark. Uh, Mikey has a bit of a meltdown. And then uh, he's especially anxious because he'd only agreed to spend two nights there. Yeah. Um, and they need to get the equipment back. Specifically the dat. The dat, which she keeps banging on. Oh about, my god, they literally say the dat about five million <laughs> times. What about the dat? We need to get the dat back. Where's the dat? I was just Did like, someone drop the dat? I was like, the dat! <laughs> <laughs> um, so we need to get daddy back. Um, from what I understand, they have two cameras. One that's like a sort of like home video camera, and then the fancy one, which the is the dat. And, and, and they only put that on at certain moments yeah um so uh he also says he needs to be back at work the next day as well um they're in the tent again uh there's more noises sort of like a cracking sound yeah 
Is this the night where they hear the children outside the tent? I'll tell you when I turn this page of my notes. Can't wait. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. So, day five. Dave five. Ah! <laughs> um, so there are uh, three piles of rocks outside of their tent. Uh, they do some more arguing, um, which is a... It's an incessant argue fast, basically. Really <laughs> and they notice that the map has gone. Um, and then they kind of, we see a bit further forward and they've all kind of chilled out and they're all trying to be um, less kind of blamey about who had the map last and all of that uh, stuff. Um, uh, Heather keeps saying, you know, we're not lost. It's hard to get lost in the US, which is statistically not true for someone that watches a lot of true crime documentaries. True crime? True crime. Yeah, there are huge expanses of, like, woods and, like, stuff in America. Yeah, and, like, like, in national parks in particular, like, like, a hundred people a day. Even in England, there are parks big enough that people get lost and die. Anyway. Um... Even in our insidious little aisle. Tiny cunt. <laughs> um, so she's just saying that she... Oh, uh, they cross another um, creek and she gets her feet wet and they are laughing at her. And they get kind hysterical. Of, there's a bit of levity, but then she gets really upset and angry that they're laughing at her. Um, and she's just like, I just want to know which of you have the map and you're laughing at my wet shoes. Um <laughs> Then Mikey reveals that he um, kicked the map into the creek. I actually thought it was longer, a longer gap before he revealed this, but evidently not. Um, and then they're really, really angry with him, like screaming at him. Um, she's like, her voice is like hoarse. She's screaming yeah. so much. Um, and like he's a kind screaming of, horse. Like a screaming horse. Like a... Whinnying. A, a wild mare. <laughs> <laughs> Whinnying at him. <laughs> the map- It's a wild pigeon. (laughs) Wild pigeon. (laughs) Stop shouting at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, they're very, very angry, but then they come across all of these symbols hanging up, which is another iconic kind of scene that... uh, that it's like a familiar image from the film. Yeah, like um, all these amazing stick people. Yeah, yes. and someone. There's also a symbol that looks a bit like a T with an X through it, and that's also the Undertaker's symbol. Oh, from, from, maybe he was there. Maybe um, I'd feel quite safe if he was there. Oh. I think. Um, the uh, and then Joshua says that it can't be rednecks. No redneck is this creative. Yeah, um, rude. And then Mikey, who's kind of really beginning to lose it well, is further losing it, um, starts shouting for help. And then later we see them in the tent. Um, they're saying, like, don't light the fires, turn the camera light off. We didn't have a fire the first night and nothing happened. And yeah. Then, since then it has. Um, so they're all quiet in the tent. And then that's when we hear the, ch- the kind of baby children noises. Yeah. Um, from all around. So they're very, they very panically, panically? Panically. In a panic, they all get dressed. Um, there's a kerfuffle, and uh, in the tent, like the tent's shaking, and then oh, they yeah. all start running, and that's where we hear us say, "What the fuck was that?" But we don't see anything, yeah, yeah, because it's moving so fast. So then it's uh, it's day six, and the sun has started to come up, and uh, they go back to the the site because they just left everything there. One of the packs is missing, and it's one of the like bags is missing, and it's all of Josh's stuff. Um, their water's gone. 
Uh, all the stuff has been thrown around, and there's like slime. On yeah, the that's with the slime detail. Apparently, the slime was KY jelly. What? Mm. Might as well. Sexy. <laughs> Sexy <laughs> witch. Like, I can't keep my Looping bag up on. These it keeps sliding off. <laughs> Just sliding all the way. <laughs> um. So, um, Mikey takes the. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if it's Mikey or Josh, but one of them starts filming Heather, and she's like really fuming that she's being filmed, and she kind of gets a taste of what the other two have been experiencing. And whoever it is, I think it's Joshua, says uh, that he understands why she's had the camera yeah, the whole it's time Joshua, yeah. because it's not quite like reality, and it's like seeing life through a filter. Yes. Um, ha- hashtag no filter. Wow. <laughs> um, now we see Joshua start to lose it, especially when he finds out that um, that there are no cigarettes left. Oh yeah, um, that, was, that would be bad. Yeah, I said when we were watching this, I said that if we ran out of cigarettes, I'd kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would be the worst in any sort of horror. Yeah, I scenario. mean, like I think if we were in this situation, we would have just laid down and just died very <laughs> early on. on day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even not lost, just fine. Yeah. I hate this. <laughs> we always talk about what we do in a zombie apocalypse, and I'm just like, just I just die. <laughs> First day it happened, even if it was just like one or two zombies, I'd, I'd offer myself up. I don't have a fighting spirit. <laughs> um, so they're also getting really angry at the prospect of having to kind of set up a camp again because um, they they just want to go. Um, and they're all singing America the Beautiful um, and the sort of hysteria is well set in by now. Mm. Um, then they arrive at a log across the creek and the the men are like this is the same log and she's like it's not it's it can't be it can't be and then she realized that it is and she's kind of hyperventilating a bit yeah. and she's just saying it's the same log and they don't understand how this has happened because they've been walking south the whole time yeah they've got like a compass so then um joshua is filming heather she gets really stroppy shouts fuck you mikey breaks up the argument and he volunteers for first watch. So they're going to sleep, but someone's going to stay and watch. Uh, so we see Joshua kind of picking at Heather, like a, a red raw scab, um, saying, and she starts to cry, and he's saying that she's, uh, like, that you're still so obsessed with making movies. This is your fault, Why you? but you still want to keep making this film. And she's saying, it's all I have left. Um, and then a bit later, the tensions have gone. They're in the tent, and... Uh, like uh, to lighten the tension, Mike's like, "Who wants a cheeseburger?" And they're all like, ah, ha, 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 "Oh my god, I'm doing that. <laughs> So day seven arrives, and they Arrives. wake up. Hello, hello, hi, <laughs> day seven. And they notice that uh, Josh is not in the tent, so they go out there. Um, they're shouting. Day seven for... is here, but Josh is not. <laughs> no, day seven has replaced Josh. Um, so they go out, they're shouting for him. At first they think he's just gone for a piss or something, but they're like, no, we've always stayed within each other's sight. Um, they're panicking. They don't move anywhere because they don't want to uh, lose to him. lose him. Um, Too late. He's gone. He's <laughs> dead. <laughs> um, and then they talk about, like, how do you feel about going east instead, like, thinking ahead? Um, and then uh, this is the shortest day that we see. Then they're chatting at night. Obviously, they haven't moved because they don't want to move away from where Josh knows they are. Um, and they hear his voice shouting at night. 
Um, yeah, that's so and weird. but they're kind of discussing whether or not it is Josh or not. They don't know. They don't know if they're being played with. Yeah, and he's like screaming and like asks, like, crying for help and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's scary. Yeah. So day eight rolls around. <laughs> I'm just trying to find different ways of saying <laughs> thing. Um, uh, and outside of the tent, there's a bundle of sticks with. Uh, it's got like a little bit of uh, like a shirt, like yeah, like flannel shirt, kind of tied stuff. around it. Um, and she uh, moves it away from in front of the tent, and she's like, "I'm just going to move it. I'm just going to move it." Um, and then uh, we see uh, quite a sort of on the nose scene of Mike like rocking backwards and forwards. Yeah, um, which is the only bit where it goes really hammy, I think. Like, yeah, I think occasionally when they're being hysterical, it's a bit like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I think the rocking scene, if I'd have believed that this was real, would be the moment where I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, because rocking backwards and forwards is the signifier of losing your mind. I get it, I see. Um, but he has found some cigarettes in his bag and they sit and smoke together. Interesting thing about the bundle of sticks is that the... The production team expected her to open up the bundle straight away, but she didn't. She so she had to be told to go back and open the bundle. Because uh, um, in my mind, she opened it straight away, but uh, I forgot about that. I um, guess you wouldn't necessarily be like, "Oh, a bundle of sis, I'll try and open that and see what's <laughs> in it." Yeah, I guess because all of the other <laughs> things they've seen, like effigies they've seen, have just been sticks just bundled sticks, together, haven't they? Yeah. So she opens the bundle, and this is this really confuses me because. So she opens it and she's like, it's covered, it's soaked in blood. And she kind of props the camera between her knees or something so she can feel yeah, it. Yeah, she used both hands. It's very, I don't know how that would fit. And inside of it, in my memory, there was a tongue. In I there. never remember the tongue. When you said tongue, I was like, I don't remember that. But... but And then I still thought it watching it, but apparently it's not. It's just like a puddle of blood inside of it. But I thought it looked like a there's tongue. Some, there's like a teeth, like a tooth. So there are, there's a teeth. teeth. There's teeth, which are real human teeth. And there's a lock of... Joshua's hair, oh, yeah. um, which is really a lock of his hair. There's no tongue. No tongue. No this tongue time. for you, sir. Um, <laughs> no French in the logs. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, because I also thought that late in my mind it was really scary because she chooses not to tell Mike what she's found. Yeah, and then later when. When they hear him, Josh screaming again, she's just like, it can't be him. I've seen his teeth and his tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know why I imagined that. There's no tongue. Um, so then she immediately kind of uh, bundles it up, goes and washes her hands in the river, puts some gloves on, saying she's okay, nothing happened, don't worry. She puts on a bag, she gets a hair caught in the bag. Yes. Um, and then uh, they're very, very slowly walking, and then we see them sat down, and Mike is eating a leaf. <laughs> yeah! Um, Crispy. And then we get the the kind of iconic monologue scene where uh, the up nose shot, where um, where Heather apologizes to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and her mom, mom, and, and mom, and says she's she's very naive. She's crying a lot. She says it's my fault. It's not. She says I insisted we weren't lost. I insisted we kept going. Everything had to be my way. Um, and now we're hungry, cold, and hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. It's so good that she uh, improvised that. Yeah, I, I think it's, really, it's a lot better than I remembered, actually, that, that whole speech. Yeah. It's good. Um, to, so, uh, oh, and she also says she's too scared to close her eyes and she's too scared to open them. Yes, And then there's a, a snot waterfall. 
There is this beautiful waterfall of snot. <laughs> so then they're out of the tent again, and they can hear what they think is Joshua shouting, and then they come across uh, this house, which is derelict. And um, this was all apparently shot in real time, so that they would have a sound effect playing upstairs to make them go up and then one down to ah. make them go down. But then they did have to reshoot it for some reason, because, like, someone fell over or dropped a camera or something. Someone fell over. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and it, it's weird, actually. So, they go in the house, and at first, they get separated immediately and can't find each other. Yeah, because, like... Um... Is it Josh? Yeah, it's like running off. Like he's like seems like really whoops up. No, and... Josh is gone. Oh, I mean uh, with the other one. Um, and um, and so he's running off, and she's like, "Wait, wait, wait!" So it's a bit like that's how they get separated. It's quite strange though. Um, so that we see like a noose hanging up by the door. Yeah. Um, they can't find each other. Then they find each other. Uh, so they hear Josh upstairs. They go upstairs, uh, and there's like little handprints mm. on the wall. Um. Which were like made by some like someone from production's child came in with red paint and did oh. um, uh, and then invoiced for the uh, <laughs> the set dressing um, and then the voice is then f- shouting from downstairs. They go downstairs and then um, we see the first camera, which is Mike's, kind of drop to the floor, and then we can hear. It's really weird, actually. We can hear Heather's, like, screaming, but it sounds really disembodied. It doesn't sound like it's coming from behind the camera. Yeah, but we know it that sounds it is odd. Like, because it sounds far away, but she's also moving, so it's, it looks, sort of, feels like she's not holding the camera. Yeah. But she is. It's just a yeah, strange kind of, like, yeah, and, sound detail. <laughs> yeah, and then we see, uh, we see Mike in the corner, uh, facing inwards. Mike in the corner, <laughs> facing inwards. Oh. <laughs> she explosions. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like a, a sort of boof. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a terrifying boof. <laughs> Boofter. <laughs> We're back to the wall, Which is the opposite of what Mike is doing in the corner. And then her camera drops and it goes quiet and we can still see Mike in the corner being a boofter. <laughs> um... And then uh, the film ends. It does end, yeah. So we talk a little bit about representation. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, So, women... um, it's obviously the tiny cast of mainly three. Um, you obviously there are women at the beginning. It's I, I don't think really you could sort of apply. I mean, it's past about Shelter's because she's in, she interviews women about the witch. Um, uh, in terms of her being, but she's not named though. The other character, no, Mary. Well, Mary, Mary Brown. Mary Brown. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't let her fucking get worded out. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I think the most obvious thing about this in regards to gender is that anything uh, that, like, the the law of witchery mm. is always inherently quite sexist. Um, because really? Because it's, I think it's, like, empowering. Well, I mean, not if you think about the Salem witch trials. Well, no, not in that case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, as, as the witch being, like, the kind of... Um, I think it's quite a modern take on witches to think of them as like an empowering thing. I think historically 
But I mean, it's quite kind of like a power, all powerful kind of crazy being. That, like it is, but often I guess like, on the grounds of being like you... an unusual woman who was unmarried and <laughs> covered in hair. <laughs> covered in hair. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, oh, I don't know. I, I guess like I, I guess it depends on whether you see like villainy as a kind of exciting kind of prospect as a, for a woman, um, which I do. So um, do I. But I think in the case of witches. Especially if it's relating to like a folklore in the US, the the the, the witch story in the US is one of sexism, not of empowerment. Well, I'm reclaiming it, so <laughs> they can they can do what they like. Fine, <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, also, I, also, I guess Heather is actually the director of the film and um, has sort of like quite a lot of say, uh, literally quite a lot of say. <laughs> Never uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but can we just go back to the witch again? Yes. So witch again. So um, the the interesting kind of unexplained thing for me really is how the what's his name Rustin Pewitt or something. Yes, Rustin Park. Yeah, because I, I was yeah Rustin <laughs> Park. I kept thinking you were saying Rustin Peace. What is so that that is a story that happened. What is that connection to the Blair Witch? I know, I think it's meant to be that he's been possessed by her or something. Yeah, it's like, even when there is, like, clear evidence that a man has been killing children, it's a fault of the witch who's a woman, right? Where's that come from? I've never understood where that folklore fits with the story of the Blair Witch. Like, the the woman who sees the floating woman and the the woman with hairs all over her arms, like, fair enough. But the the Rustin Parr story doesn't equate for me. When he said, uh, fair enough, I thought Harry Muff. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I'm sure yeah. she did. Um, under her wolf shawl. Yeah, it is um, random. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just meant to be like her influence, but I mean, it's not really spelled out in that way, is it? Um, but, to speak on Heather. To speak on Heather? She is the main character. Yes. Everything that happens is her fault. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the witch's fault. Well, but, yes, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, she she makes she she's like she's quite considering it, anything done in such a naturalistic way over such a short span. I guess doesn't really allow a huge amount of character development. But there is quite a lot in this mm. in terms of like we know exactly what kind of people all three of them are. Like, yeah, um, almost to the point where the two men are kind of like archetypes. Yeah. Um, but she has a thing where she's like she's very she's definitely the leader. She definitely gets her own way. She definitely... Um... And she's the strong one. She like, holds it all together, like, um, secretly falling apart while she's pretending everything's fine. Yes, and she protects Mike by not letting him know what's yeah. happened to Josh. She also is the last one to break down. Yeah. Um, and the last one to die. Um, final gal. Final gal. And also, she has a good, like, internal story herself about her coming around to realising that she has some accountability for the situation that they're in. Of course, not entirely. They're being hunted by a witch. <laughs> but <laughs> some of the decisions that she's made have led them to being in a worse situation than they could have been. Yeah. And she ultimately is is and feels responsible for them being in that situation in the first place, which she is. Yes. So I think she has, like, she's very self-aware, even though there are times, especially at the beginning, when it seems like she has no self-awareness at all. Yeah, yeah. But she kind of comes around... And she ends up being a likable character in spite of being quite an annoying one. Yeah, like, literally. Like, I don't want her to die. 
ah! wants to shut up for five minutes. <laughs> I don't remember finding her so annoying. I don't know what like what the change has been. It's just so just like her incessant like me me me. One thing I really noticed, which is interesting, because I don't normally see this in films in such a way, but you know, like if you rewatch a film that you watched when last when you were much much younger. Mm. You still kind of see them as the same characters that you did then. So, like, so, like, I can't think of an example, but basically, like, watching this, I was like, oh, these are, like, three really annoying kids. Whereas when I watched it before, they were much older than me. Yeah. But, but they're, they're kind of kids in their early 20s. Yeah, that's who true. Who are wonder, all a little bit sort of dickish. I wonder whether they seem kind of cool or something, like, when it was first released and we were younger. No, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I found them exceptional. That's not to say I don't like young young people. Oh, I, young people in there, witch but hunts. I, I found them sort of exceptionally annoying, and I found her very entitled as well. Yeah. Um, and like Mike was like a sort of mopey dad. I did kind of like Josh Joshua a bit, just because I I kind of fancy like scruffy nineties stoners. Chilling. Um, I know it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's I think it's good in its portrayal of a woman. Yeah, because she is she is a woman. And, well, <laughs> she she okay. is uh, she is objectively the strongest of them, and the one that holds them all together, and the one that kind of drives the story. Yeah, but also she's very flawed, and that's important in representation. I think I agree. Um, so yeah, it's good. Um, there are no people of colour, are there? No, not even in the town. No. Um, could um, be a deep south type thing. Yeah, but, I expect so. Yeah, who knows? Um, disability is no representation no. of that either. Um, yeah, that's and queer, obviously. Yeah. No, it's very difficult in a cast of three. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I read yeah. that after the first thirteen, from thirteen minutes on, there's only three people in the film. Ah. So the only people you see is a handful of like town people. Uh, giving their views. Um, Just one sassy gay for representation. <laughs> hey, girl! <laughs> Don't you dare girl in those words! <laughs> oh, mama's gonna slay you! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's not loaded with uh, with representation, but it doesn't need to, I don't think. No. Um, the witch might be queer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is this the juncture where we talk about the awards... Yes. The awards, the awards. Yes. And do we do a song? Yes. Okay. Go on. Awards, 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 awards. You tried to catch me out there. I did on purpose. Oh, tricky little Thank you. Um, so, uh, uh, starting off with, uh, who's, who's your best character then, eh? So I picked two, because I think one of them might not be minor enough to count, but Mary Brown. Oh, she's mine. <laughs> the other one was the dead mouse. Oh, okay, that was also my backup, actually. <laughs> was it? Yeah. God, we spent too much time together. <laughs> <laughs> um, Spookiest So... Many. I, I think it's a very scary film. It is scarier than I remember. Um, like, well, I expected to remember it. Well, yeah, whatever. I, I, it's basically one of these films, I think, that is not scary beyond the first viewing. But the first... But you remember the scares from the first time you saw it. because, I, And I think, especially if you're watching it for the first time now, when we're much more accustomed to, like, jump scares, 
there are so many moments where the camera's panning really fast and you're like, oh, we're going to see someone. Yeah, and yeah. like, even though I know that you don't see anything. But this film kind of, in terms of scares, accomplishes what I think all films should aim to do, or most films should aim to do, which is they don't actually show you anything. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so effective. And it's probably one of the few films I can think that actually resists being like, okay, we're going to have them chased by a stick man. <laughs> you know, like, there's no need for that big, like, yeah, yeah. reveal moment, because it's always disappointing. And I think, so I think that the it's generally a scary film full of, like, tension, um, but there are some bits that stood out as scariest. The ending where he stood against the, uh, stood yeah, facing yeah. the wall is the bit that everyone remembers. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a, like, subtle but horrifying image. Yeah. I'm so uh, sort of annoyed at that stupid test audience for that. I don't understand yeah. it. I'm too stupid. <laughs> I need I this to make sense. <laughs> um, the other bit that I find really scary, or did find really scary, was when they're hearing Josh shouting. Mm, that's um, my that's my scariest bit, is when, they, when he's gone missing and then they hear him screaming for help. Um, yeah, like, it was funny because actually in terms of, like, watching it this time, I really, like, let my guard down in terms of just kind of, like, thinking, like, it, like especially for the long bit where nothing really happens and they're just in the woods and they're realising they're lost. It was a bit like, yeah, no, whatever. And then I was just like, this is kind of a little bit like trudging around in the woods and like, it's more kind of like the fear of being lost than actually a kind of a supernatural thing. And so I kind of let my guard down and say like, when the, f- the first time they're in the, the, they hear the children outside and then the night with the, they, with them, they hear Josh, I was actually like a little bit chilled. I was like, oh, and that very rarely happens to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that, that about the fear of being lost though, because I also think that is a really effective part of it though because for a lot of it it's equally as like um there's like an anxiety that builds up around being like oh fuck like they, they yeah, can't yeah, get yeah. it and i think that's a real like it's like a legitimate scary device yeah but not like, not like spooky scary more like really stressful oh my god i could die scary. yeah um <laughs> legitimately um <laughs> It's legitimately, logistically... Uh, Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, so, uh, moving on. Um, uh, well, what was your lols moment? Uh, I don't know that... I mean, the, I think we laughed most at just how annoyed we were by Heather. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Mary Brown is probably the funniest bit. Yeah, she's cute. Um, she's kind of like campy old dame <laughs> yeah um, the bit that made me lol there was a few bits but um, was when um, Heather's filming the dead mouse and she goes what killed this dead mouse a witch <laughs> <laughs> yeah her like kind of earnest presenter voice is quite funny yeah. <laughs> uh, best death for you so this is tricky because we don't see any deaths do we no we know that they have died. Yeah, in which case, I would say that Joshua's is the best. Mm. Just because it's, it gets the most story around it, because the other two just die at the end and that's it. In fact, one of them dies, we don't even see Mike die. Yeah. Um, the, so yeah, Joshua's, and the kind of, the, the teeth and the hair and the screaming and yeah. then shouting for him, that, yeah, I'd say his was the best. Yeah, agreed. And like, yeah, the the worst. Is, yeah, good, uh, technically, just because you don't know really what happens. So, like, obviously they end up dying, but you don't really know anything about it. Um, but I think this is a rare case where being worst death doesn't really matter that much because we don't need to know exactly 
you know, we don't need a gory death, and in a way, it wouldn't. Well, it's like more wonder. spoopy that you don't know yeah. exactly what happened. Um, do you have a queerest moment, for example? Would you like to hear my queer reading oh, of the the, the, uh, of the, the, the the forest as a closet? I'm ah! I don't have one this time. <laughs> um, I, I I found the bit um, personally the bit where they are ex- both exploring his chest and his chest hair. Because like, she starts doing it, and then the guy chips in, and they're all feeling his chest a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah. stop it! Especially <laughs> since they don't really know him very well. Like, they've only met because he's got, he knows how to operate the equipment. Yeah, it's just such a weird scene. It's like, why has he got his top off, and why are they, like, feeling him up? Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a, like, deleted scene of just, like, a really aggressive threesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a bit where, like, he jokes about it in the tent, where they're just, like, something about, like, drunken orgies or something. It's like, ha ha ha! So, who finally? Who was your sexiest character? Well, I don't think he was sexy, but I, in real life, I probably would have a bit of a crush on Josh and then hate myself for it. Yeah, fair. Who's your sexiest? <laughs> Mine is the weird fisherman's son. Um, he's not like his son makes him sound young. He's a, he's a grown man. Um, I mean, that's my main concern is how ugly he is. No, he's not. <laughs> if, Did, uh, didn't he look a bit like Reg off the bill? No, uh, he was kind of like he kind of looked like a seventies gay in a way because he's kind of like giant like sunglasses on. He's really tight skinny jeans and a lumberjack shirt, and he's just so. Got a sweet little ass on him. Why am I picturing um, Reg off the bill? I don't know. Maybe that's your fantasy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, it's very, very tight jeans, very sexual. But kind of like he's kind of like a little hipster, even though he's meant to be like a hillbilly or like a redneck, whatever they say. Um, but yeah, I think he's a fair. Hilly <laughs> <laughs> oh, Willy Wifter. <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, on to the, the final, uh, Pumpkans. Well, how, how many Pumpkans? I think, I think it's a four Pumpkan film. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, it's really fun. Um, it's scary. It's so original. Mm. Um, and it even now still stands out as an original film, even though we've seen lots of found footage stuff. Um, and I don't think it's just because it was the first, like, big one. I think it's because it's just a really ingeniously made film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. Yeah, because I hadn't seen it since, like, forever. And I really kind of thought that rewatching it, it would have dated really badly. And I'd just be like, oh, this is kind of cringy. Like, I'm sad that I'm revisiting this thing that I love so much and it's ruined. But it wasn't. It was actually still kind of, like, yeah, good and, like, scary um, in a way that I don't find a lot of films. So, And you know maybe why that is? Go on. Because they didn't show you anything, and that's what makes things scary. Like, yeah. things are scarier the less you see. Unseen. And it's, it's like, it, it's a surprisingly, like, considering there are some, like, hammy moments, it's a surprisingly restrained film, I think. Yeah. They could have gone a lot more extreme, a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah. But they, um, like, I bet they did a lot of editing to make it so kind of... I mean, of course they did, because it's a film. But, um, <laughs> I bet they edited this film. I bet this wasn't just all they filmed uh, in the exact sequence. <laughs> I mean, I, I I bet it was very difficult to edit, because they would have had days and days and days worth of footage if they were in, in uh, character the whole time. Yeah. And filming most of the time. So they, they essentially would have constructed the story through the edit rather than before, which is the other way around to how things would normally yeah, yeah. be. 
So they could have made like a hundred different films of various levels of like melodrama and yeah. And I think hearing all the backstory about how they kind of fed them little bits of information and how they made it all work is just like kind of incredible that it actually did come together and it does make sense because you'd think that the something would get lost somewhere where you just be like. You didn't say the thing you were meant to say. Um, and especially if the crew were, like, really miles away yeah. and unable to watch them. Um, it's kind of amazing that it all actually worked and it came together. And also, it, I, I think, aside from all of the kind of tricks that the production were playing to kind of make them feel kind of, like, uncomfortable and a little bit manic, the fact that, the, that it was their responsibility to be capturing the footage would have been this extra level of, like, stress. Yeah. Like, oh, we're, we're acting, but we're also, like... <laughs> Producing ourselves, with directing ourselves, yeah. with filming. I thought it would have been exhausting. Oh, exhausting. Absolutely yeah. exhausting. I mean, for a grand a day, I'd probably do it. As well. Yeah. Yes, you would. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about, like, uh, like it being real. <laughs> for a second, I thought a lot of it was real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> die at the end, for a grand a day. <laughs> just those few sweet moments where I knew I had seven I knew I had the money, but I could spend it. <laughs> I tried to bargain with the wind. I've got seven grand. <laughs> I'll give you six. <laughs> so how many pumpkins would you give it? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Four as well. Oh. Um, yeah, I think it's it's knowing a bit more about it and like also like we just talked about and uh, the fact that I think it still holds up is, is kind of iconic. Because yeah. uh, not a lot of films do, especially like as it's quite a niche, like genre-specific film. Like it does hold up. So yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Well done. Well done, everyone. It's time for the spoopy bit. Some quite intense acting. Yeah. But <laughs> if I'm terrified or aroused. <laughs> um, so today, I thought I'd talk to you a little bit about uh, what researchers call. America's greatest ghost story, mm. uh, The Bell Witch Hauntings, which I think I'd heard of, but I didn't yeah. really know that much about. Um, so the story takes place in the American South, like The Blair Witch, um, just a couple of states over in Tennessee, um, and it all starts in the summer of 1817, uh, happening to the Bell family. I keep wanting to say the Blair family. Um <laughs> So it all started when John Bell, the dad of the family, um, was walking his 360-acre farmland. <laughs> Says 368 dogs. <laughs> <laughs> he was riding a sea of dogs. Um, well, and uh, actually he saw what he described as a rabbit-headed dog um, in the middle of his cornfield. Um, he shot the, the creature several times and think, thought he'd killed it and then went in for dinner. You said my hair looked like a cornfield today. Oh, yeah, it did. What did you say? Like, like, a, like a wilted field of corn or something. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that night, uh, Belle and his family heard chains rattling and phantom knocking. And the sounds got stronger each night. Uh, the children were awakened by the sounds of rats gnawing at their bedposts and a voice singing hymns. Um, it also or be- hers. Or hers. Is, is, um, and it also began to act out physically, throwing pillows around the room and tugging on the children's bedsheets. 
Boat sheets? Boat sheets. No, I said bed sheets oh. in a weird way. Um, so in the board sheets. Um, so, uh, oh, no, there's a witch in the board sheets. That's not a good bed. I just sang it um, scared of uh, ridicule, John told his family to keep it secret, and they kept it a secret for over a year, despite it happening consistently. Um, uh, it's also thought I of, definitely uh, tell someone. Yeah, but it's also thought they didn't reach out for help because of the hangover of the witch trials, because that was only 125 years previous, and also they feared the scorn of the staunch Baptist community they lived in. Um, uh, but when John's uh, youngest daughter Betsy woke up with welts and Betsy Bell. Betsy Bell. That's a fun name. Yeah. Um, woke up with uh, welts and handprints on her face. Uh, he ended up telling his closest friend, James Johnston. James. James, I mean. <laughs> James Johnston. The singular of James. <laughs> Just one James. <laughs> his one friend, James. Um, so Johnston ended up like spending a night in the house to see the, if it was all true and ended up hearing all the same disturbing noises. Um, he ended up leaking it somehow, and um, and then the people ended up uh, traveling. Oh, leaking! Yeah, like leaking, <laughs> just leaking it out. Um, and uh, people ended up traveling far and wide to investigate themselves. Uh, word even spread to Nashville, where Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the U.S., uh, wants to witness <laughs> this is the hoopla uh, firsthand. <laughs> um, but apparently, uh, his ca- he laughed when his carriage wheels mysteriously locked as soon as he got to the Bell's farm. Oh, um, baby, yeah. Oh, the wheels are locked. Ah! <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a there's like quite a big history of uh, U.S. presidents being into like the spiritual and the like mm. paranormal. Um, I don't have any more information. Well, thank you, though. Um, (laughs) So, uh, the more people tried to talk to it and interact with it, and the more it was paid attention, the louder it became, um, as though it was feeding on people's fear. Uh, The entity began beating the children and tripping adults with greater intensity. Um, Its voice also became more clear. Uh, I love this. At times, low and melodic, and others, a shrill screech. (laughs) It's that low and melodic, like... Hello, children. <laughs> Hello. Um, I am gnawing uh, on your butchies. Butchies. Um, so as the story goes, the spirit eventually announced itself as Kate Batts, um, an eccentric woman who once lived near the property. Batts, uh, as in... With two T's, but... Yeah. Um, and uh, blamed John for cheating her in, her, in the land deal. Um, whoever it was, uh, it was definitely there to kill him and stop Betsy from marrying a local boy named Joshua Gardner. Um, it's apparently said that the entity had quite the personality as well. Mm. Uh, even though most of the time it was talking ugly. She was called Cat Bat. Wait, Kate Bat. Um, Cat Bat. Um, and, uh, she was talking ugly and cursing. Um, there were times when she would laugh and it was usually someone's misery. (laughs) 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 Uh, Kate in, uh, commas, inverted, what are they called? Yes. Uh, became known as the Bell Witch, um, over the next few years. Um, and, uh. You know, I would be furious if I went to the effort of haunting someone. As my own autonomous witch, <laughs> and I was na- I was known as the name of the person I was haunting. 
I'd be like, no, it no, me. It I'm me. Kate Bats. <laughs> the Bats Witch. I'm the Kate Bat Witch. Um, and um, so in the subsequent years, John uh, suffered choking attacks. Um, he's described as, as, I don't really know what it means here. It's like sharp stick wedged, sharp, sh- uh, sharp stick wedged crossways in his mouth. Oh, I guess inside. Uh, yeah. Um, he ended up slipping into a coma and died in December 20, uh, 20th of December, 1820. Um, this went on for three years. Yeah. Um, the family found a vial of poison in his room. Um, and the son, John Bell Jr., um, gave some of it to the cat, which uh, died instantly. Um, uh, the, uh, the entity then spoke up, apparently, exclaiming joyfully... I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. Um, uh, uh, John Jr. quickly threw the vial into the fireplace where it burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. Why the fuck did he give it to the cat? I know. Well, I don't know if they knew it was poison then. They were just like, have a little taste on that cat, see what happens. Yeah, yeah mean anyway. Um, so uh, just three months later, Betsy broke off her engagement with Joshua. Um, uh, having completed her mission, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Bell Witch said goodbye. Uh, but Do we know why she didn't want, uh, Betty Bell to? There's a theory that I'm going to come to, but, um, no, don't know. Um, so she said goodbye, but promised to return. Uh, no, so, thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. It's enough of you. Um, and uh, sure enough, uh, seven years later, uh, she paid a visit to John Bell Jr. and she said to, spoke, uh, to have spoken to him for three nights about past, present, and future. Um, written accounts say that she even predicted the Civil War with eerie accuracy. I mean, anyone could have seen that coming, really. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, the strange activity never left the Bell Farm, and it spread to the cave just behind their property, where some people say the witch's spirit still lives. Um, but was it really a spirit um, who talked to the Bell family all those years, or something far more sinister? What's more, f- more sinister, sinister than, than a witch? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, Two witches. <laughs> <laughs> a child. Um, <laughs> um, according to the manuscripts, some believe the manifestations are an elaborate ruse to break up Betsy and her fiance Joshua. Seems a bit like it's gone for three years. It was a bit and excessive. also kill the father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, it's just to make it look real. But, um, Collateral but, damage. Yeah. So, but then uh, Betsy did end up marrying her old school teacher, Richard Powell, gross, uh, who developed a fondness for Betsy when she entered his classroom years before. Uh, Pedo. Um, maybe it was him. Well, this is the thing. So, soon after Richard befriended the Bell family, the hauntings began, and rumor has it that he was a student of the occult. Um, although this has never been con- fucking Peter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and although this has never been confirmed, um, it's thought that he like manifested the kind of like the spirits and the haunting essentially through occult practices. Um, plus, uh, Pal's Pal's first wife uh, died in 1821, the same year uh, Betsy ended her engagement. Um, so, uh, today, uh, the bell which is still blamed for unexplainable sights and sound near the old bell farm. Uh, while the original farmhouse is, uh, long gone, uh, you can explore, uh, a, re- a recreation of the, the family's cabin and take tours of the bell witch cave, where historians and ghost chasers alike apparently have still captured creepy recordings and photography. Have you seen any of them? No. 
Um, I did do a little search, but yeah, it's weird. Like to get all the scary details of this, it's like I had to do a lot of searching around it. People are really like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then that. But um, it's kind of notable because it's like recorded in documents, and it's quite a recent history, essentially, in terms of like being quite an established haunting. Um, so that's why it's notable in American haunting history, <laughs> essentially. Isn't it funny? This is kind of what I meant about the story of like witches being a sexist one, because it's like. What I mean, obviously, this is pure conjecture, but like, so a literal paedophile <laughs> who wants to seduce a, a little girl blames it on a woman that's <laughs> dead. Like, <laughs> I should say it's just a theory, even though there's quite a lot of kind of like weird sort of points. I mean, it's, it's kind of like... definitely more feasible than, than the witch story. But... He didn't go in there as a rat every night and gnaw at the boat sheets. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, that's chilling and upsetting. Absolutely. Um, Mostly the pedo bear. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Mary's Podcast, and that's Mary's with a Z. And thanks to our theme tune from uh, The Pink Pound. Uh, You can follow them at The Pink Pound Sound. And if you're enjoying Bloody Mary's, please like, subscribe, and share with all your friends.